have you here, and uh, let's look a little bit at uh, at uh, overview of Second John as it comes up. Turn your Bibles to Second John. I just want to show you kind of where we are. The big idea of Second John is truth matters in a world of lies and liars. Truth matters in the wor- in a world of lies and liars. And if we look at this uh, next slide. It divides up into two sections. There's two sections in this book, and we've, we've worked our way through the first six verses. Now we're in verses 7 through 13. And the first section was truth matters to God's elect leaders and churches. That's within the church. And then truth matters in a world of lies and liars. And there's false teachers in the world that want to get into the church. And so these two sections bring a lot of balance Uh, that is often missing, not only in our lives, but in Christianity today. And so look at this next section, uh, truth and abiding. It really divides up uh, for balance in our lives. We've seen walk in the commandments. Truth matters, so walk in the commandments of God. Prove that the truth abides in you by loving and obeying. These are the tests of life. This is the proof. But you also, when it comes to abiding, You've got to watch out for counterfeits, and you prove you abide in the truth by being inhospitable to error. You've got to resist the false teachers, and that's what we're going to start focusing on, truth and abiding. But we also want to look at truth and loving, truth and loving. There's a balance here as well. Truth promotes love for one another. Truth and love are not contradictory, but truth is what promotes love. It's what provides for loving for one another. But love also protects truth with one another. So love isn't just all-inclusive. It also rejects and resists anything that's against the truth. It protects truth with one another. Now, we've seen here in this next slide that the first half of the book divided up into two parts, love by the truth and live in the truth. Now we're looking at looking out for the truth. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11, looking out for the truth, the truth's protection. We need to protect the truth as God's elect people. So I hope that gives you an overview. Let's look in your Bibles to uh, 2 John 1 through 11, and let's just read that so that we can just get a little feel again for this letter. So follow along with me in your Bible, 2 John 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, the church as a whole, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning that you should walk in it. Now, here's the switch to the next half of the book. For many deceivers have gone into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. 
This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose that do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and doesn't abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Now, what the key verse in all this section in 7 through 11, as you look in your Bibles, is watch yourselves, watch yourselves. And I couldn't help but think, okay, now what, what are we talking about here? How could I illustrate this for you? And back in uh, 2002, uh, we had a string of break-ins here at our church. I mean, three of them in a row. The first one was shocking. You walked in the church, they vandalized, they had been in there all evening, and it was just, it was just shocking. Then it happened, and you get it all sorted out, you get it all back in place, you buy new computers, and they broke in again. That's when Bruce and I started crying. Is that not true? But it was the third time. I don't know. It was just third time, first time. There was weeping. There was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then it happens a third time. And it's just gone, gone. And our backup was taken. And so, in fact, I want to teach a series on Islam. And this was in 2000. I always know what I was teaching during that time. Because when I go back to my computer, find the copies, they're gone. So, you know, like this, this I, I was teaching on Islam because I don't have the first two lessons. Everything from 2002, they're gone the first part of the year. But the problem was we didn't have any, anything to watch. We didn't have any way to be alert. Uh, literally, these guys would break in and they could stay in all evening. And, and they would just literally, and it's like you feel violated when someone robs your home, robs your office. I mean, they just sat in my chair and went through my drawers and looked at all, you know. And it would be weeks later I would figure out, oh, that's gone. Oh, my little laser pointer, that's gone. Oh, this is, you know, because they just had all the time in the world because there was no one alerting us, no one. And so finally, after the third time, takes a little while, uh, we got smart and we got a security system. And Lord, uh, thanks to the Lord and his providence, we haven't been broken in since. But if we were, we would, Lord willing, get an alert because we literally have people that are watching through the monitors, through all these different ways, paying attention. That's what's going on here. You and I have to have some sort of system. We have to have some sort of awareness where we're alerted. Wait, watch out. There's bad guys trying to get in. There's false teachers coming in. And we need some sort of way to protect one another. So look in your notes. You can divide up verses 7 through 11 in two ways. How, to, how, how do God's elect people look out for the truth? How do we have that a, a security system? How do we have that alarm? How do we have that notification? How do we look out for the truth? It's by protecting one another from false teaching, from false teaching, and that's verses 7 through 9 that we're going to look at today, and false teachers. False teachers, that's verses 10 through 11. So, in verses 7 through 9, we learn how to resist false teaching. And the key command is in verse 8. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. But in verses 10 through 11, 
We learn how to relate to false teachers, and we do that by rejecting them. And the key command is in verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive them into your house. Do not give them greeting. So we're going to learn how to resist false teaching today and how to reject false teachers next week. So how did God's people look out for the truth? How do they resist false teaching? Well, we're going to see this morning three ways God's elect people protect one another from false teaching. Are you ready for these? So this is your alarm system. This is how you alert yourself. This is how you you resist false teaching. The first truth is this. Be diligent. Be diligent in living in the truth on a daily basis. Look at verse 7. The first point of this lesson is not even in verse 7. It's in verses 4 through 6. Look at how it begins. Uh, the, the more literal your translation, it'll have a connection there. The word for. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Unfortunately, some, uh, some of our translations today uh, don't translate these connections. So you miss the whole point of the truth. So the early version of the NIV doesn't have, any, it doesn't have four in it. Uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible doesn't have any connection there. They just start out with many deceivers. But here's the point. He's saying this. Look, the whole reason I taught you verses 4 through 6, the whole reason we had last week's lesson about walking in truth, about loving one another, about obeying God's commands, is because this is the way you resist false teaching. You're diligent to live in it. The latest version of the uh, NIV says, I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. Now, I gave you a chart there that kind of shows you a summary of last week's lesson. And there's three tests of life in John's letters, and we should know those. The doctrinal test, the relational test, and the moral test. And here's what he's saying. The best way for you and I to resist false teaching... And to be aware of it is to be diligent to pass these tests. Authentic Christians pass these tests. And that's what, so ask yourself, do I habitually walk in the truth as a pattern of life? Do I habitually walk in love for other believers, for the believers of this church as a pattern of life? Do I habitually walk in obedience to all of God's commands? Not sinless, not sinless. But am I sinning less, and do I acknowledge that God's Word has authority on me? You know, I don't take certain sections and say, Well, you know what, I like this part, so I'm going to obey this. But this part over here, I don't like so much, and so I'm just going to ignore that. Now, the false teaching and false teachers fail these tests. So, the doctrinal test, instead of walking in truth, truth is twisted. Truth is twisted. They, God's truth is subtly distorted or outright denied, all right? Secondly, instead of habitually walking in love, false teaching and false teachers, love is lacking. Love is lacking. They divide God's people by teaching what's not true. Listen, God's love, and remember, that love for one another is within the local church. And so much of false teaching denigrates the local church. So much of false teaching will tell you, oh, organized religion, bad. 
hey, guess what? The body of Christ, a local church, is organized. And it's full of imperfect people. You know, people, I don't want to go to church because they're hypocrites. And, and the answer is, hey, one more won't, won't matter. Come on in. You know, we're imperfect people. Okay? We are imperfect people. But a lot of false teaching will dismiss the local church. They'll deem attendance at church as unnecessary, as a form of legalism. And they'll even say, man, organized church is dangerous. Now, I can't give you all the explanations of that. I can't give you all the forms of that. But it's true. Listen, when people denigrate the local church as a vital part of spiritual growth, you have your heresy meter start going off. All right? Because loving one another doesn't happen out in a, in a hunter's blind uh, worshiping creation. Loving one another happens in organized, structured local churches uh, full of imperfect people, which is why we need love. Right? You know, if organized church was easy, you know, if, if gathering with God's people, you know, and everybody was sinless and, and everybody always did the right thing, well, we wouldn't need love, right? Now, we want God to love us that way. Don't we want Jesus to love us when we're unloving? Right? That's what we're supposed to be doing with one another. Thirdly, the moral test. They habitually, what we, that instead of habitually walking in obedience, obedience is optional. It's optional. Or it's outright denied. And it's, it's mind-blowing that we have false teaching by professing Christians that say, Hey, you know what? God's grace is such. You don't have to be obedient. You don't have to worry about obedience. So often, what authentic Christians are to be doing is rejected as legalism. And believe me, legalism is real. But also, so is grace-inspired obedience. So is grace-inspired love. So is grace-inspired doctrine that is important. And so when the Holy Spirit and the indwelling Christ is motivating what we do, these things aren't legalism. They're authentic Christianity, all right? So the best way, let me give you these two points. These are just practical ways for you to put this into practice. First of all, be diligent to delight in the truth. Be diligent to delight in the truth in order to better discern what's false. Hey, the best way to detect false teaching is to delight in God's truth. In fact, the first step away, listen to me now, the first step away into false teaching is you begin to no longer delight. In God's word. You begin to no longer delight in God's word. And I pick that word specifically, delight in it. You love it. You love it. This is God's word. The more you're in this, you know, there's that old illustration that they train bank tellers to know counterfeit money, not by examining counterfeit money, but how? By handling real money. And the more you handle the real money, you can detect the false. And there's a lot of truth in that, but you still need to know the false. And in this day and age, the false money isn't, you don't know it by handling it. You got to examine it and it's computerized and it's digitalized. What? And you put it against the, yeah, you got to see the, the, the filter and the hologram and all that. So you can't just know the truth, but this is the second point. Focus on learning, loving and living the truth. Focus on learning, loving, and living the truth, and know just enough about the false to resist and refute it. To resist and refute it. So, 
you got to know something about false teaching. Paul's going to tell us, some, or John's going to tell us something about, about false teaching. But the vast majority, he's saying, look at verses 4 through 6. Delight in the truth. Live in the truth. Listen to Romans uh, 16, verse 19. Here's what Paul says. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I'm rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Wise in what is good and innocent. In other words, he's saying, I want you to focus on the good and not the bad. You know, there's some whole ministries that they spend their whole time, their whole website, their whole ministry is detecting error. Well, I appreciate those ministries, but they wear you out after a while, right? I need some positive input of truth. Listen to Titus uh, 1.9 on the qualifications of a elder or pastor. Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that you will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. And here's why. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families. Listen, we need to know enough of the truth or enough of, enough of falsehood in order to refute it and to silence those who are upsetting God's people. Now, here's the best way to do it. You know what your number one tool on fighting false doctrine is? I know this is obvious, but it's the Bible. It's the Bible. That's the number one tool for fighting false doctrine. Why? Because it's profitable for what? 2 Timothy 3.16. God's words, we ought to have this memorized. It's profitable for doctrine for reproof, showing where error is, correction, correcting the error, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The more you know this book, you've got to read it cover to cover. You have to read it cover to cover. And you have to keep reading it. And then you've got to go beyond reading it to studying it and meditating on it, applying it, most of all, delighting in it. That's how we, that's how we resist false teaching. Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Jude. It's towards the end of the, end of the New Testament. Jude Revelation. So turn your Bibles to the book of Jude. We uh, did a series on this and uh, this little book, all about resisting and rejecting false teachers. So look at Jude right before Revelation. And I want you to look at verses 17 through 23. And notice what he says. Look at verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always going back to Scripture. That they, that they were saying to you, In the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, no love for one another, worldly-minded, not saturated with Scripture, devoid of the Spirit. But look at how he counters it. Look at the but there in verse 20. But you, beloved, here's what you do. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. 
Look at your doctrine. Build on your doctrine. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Develop your relationship. 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Wow, that's just powerful, powerful stuff. He's saying, look, here's how you counter it. You must be diligent to live in the truth. So go back to last week's lesson and apply that. And that's the first step in resisting false teaching. But here's the second step. Are you ready? The second step is in the next verse. Be discerning, or in the rest of that verse, be discerning. Be discerning when it comes to the lies and liars who promote false teaching. Be discerning. You've got to be diligent in the truth, but you have to be discerning regarding false doctrine. Look at the rest of verse 7 again. For many deceivers, many have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Whoa. Okay, not very politically correct. All right, they're liars and they're antichrist. I don't think you could have any stronger language. And yet, you know, today, if we would call out teachers as deceivers, liars, and antichrist, even a lot of good Christians would say, you're being mean. You're not being loving. And yet this is an epistle about love. This is love. The most, listen to me, the most loving thing you can do. Okay, the, the, we're, we're being invaded right here, right here. We're being invaded. The most loving thing you can do when false teachers come into your class. Okay, the most loving thing you can do is you, can, you call them what they are. It's loving to them and it's loving to God's people. So let's take a look at this. First of all, learn to discern the lies that are told and the liars who tell them. So here's what you got to do. Discern the lies. Let me give you a definition of false teaching. False teaching is subtle distortion or outright denial of gospel truth that is taught as if it is true. So here's false teaching, subtle distortion, twisting, or outright denial, rejection of gospel truth that is then taught as if it is the truth. Now the denial, we see this in verse 7. The denial that John is zeroing in on is the denial of Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Now why is that? Because apparently... Because apparently the false teaching that was infiltrating the churches in Asia Minor at that time was this kind of teaching. That Jesus was a human being. He wasn't, virgin, he wasn't conceived by a virgin birth. He wasn't God in flesh. For 30 years he was a regular guy just like you and me. And then at his baptism, right before his ministry, when the Holy Spirit came down upon him, God came down. And the Spirit of Christ came upon Jesus when he was 30 years old, hung out with him for three and a half years, helped him do all those miracles, do all these great things. And then right before the crucifixion, the Spirit of Christ bugged out because we can't have the Spirit of deity getting messed up in death. Are you with me? We can't have the spirit of uh, the, the deity of God messed up with human flesh. So he can only tolerate human flesh for a short period of time. And then he took off. Now, that's what 
they were probably teaching. But notice what he says. Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Coming there is in present tense. He's not saying he came in the flesh. He's saying, yeah, he came in the flesh. He's still in the flesh. And guess what? He's going to be coming in the flesh again because he's always in the flesh of human flesh. Are you with me? So from the moment he was conceived by uh, uh, the miracle of the virgin conception to today and forever, Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God. Are we with me? Incarnation. Christ has come in the flesh. He's still in the flesh. Yes, he rose and he's got a glorified body, but it's a human body. And guess what? It's the same body. We will see nail holes in his wrists, in his feet, and a, a spear pierced side. It's the same body, right? And when he comes again and his feet touch, it's going to be a real body. The same body, a human body, glorified, risen, but the same body. I like what uh, uh, Professor uh, Charles Ryrie from Dow Seminary says. He made the observation, the Bible does not say God came into flesh, but he came in flesh. Think about that. That's the difference. Now you're thinking to me, why are you so excited about this? Why is this so important? I believe in Christmas. We celebrate Christmas every year. We believe in the incarnation. But listen, you've got to understand that if you mess with Jesus, then you mess with all of salvation, okay? Studied for five years down Texas during the time when the state ad was, don't mess with Texas, all right? Don't mess with Jesus. If you tinker or twist or distort or, or outright reject the full deity and the full humanity of Jesus Christ, you just messed with your salvation. Now, let me show you how it is. Christ is the gospel. Christ is the gospel. If he is not fully man, if he's not fully God, then you don't have good news. You've got bad news. Here's how you want to think about the gospel, okay? You want to think about the gospel, always think about the gospel as a who plus a what equals the gospel. It's who is Jesus and what did he do? And the who is always fully man and fully God. This is, that's the first test. Just ask anybody, what do you think of Jesus? Is he fully man? Is he fully God? If not, <coughs> you've got false teaching. Then what did he do? Well, he lived a perfect life. Okay, he was sinless. He lived a perfect life. And then he died as a perfect substitute and sacrifice on the cross, all right, as fully man and fully God. And then he rose from the dead, the only one to do it. Buddha didn't do that. Muhammad did not do that. Billy Graham will not do that, except if Jesus helps him to do it, okay. Rose from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father, reigning interceding for us, right? And then coming again. This is what Christ. It's what Christ has done. It's what Christ is doing. That looks like a different language. And it's what Christ is coming back to do, okay? You get the idea. 
Now, here's the point. You mess with Christ. Listen, you mess with Christ like they were saying. If he's not, listen, if he's not fully God from the moment he was conceived, then he didn't live a sinless life. First 30 years, he was just like you and me, which meant he was born in sin, conceived in sin, had a sin nature. Are you with me? So if he is not fully God from the moment of concession, conception, we have lost the sinlessness. Then, if, if Christ left him, if deity left him right before the cross, then the crucifixion becomes pointless. Now we don't have eternal satisfaction. We don't have God receiving eternal wrath. We don't have God absorbing the wrath of mankind. It's just a man dying. And there were hundreds of men, thousands of men that were... In fact, there were two men crucified with him on the day that he died, right? And if Christ isn't, the spirit of deity is not in Jesus when he's being crucified, then his death's no different than the other two men on those, thie- uh, the two thieves on the cross. And it's no different. His resurrection becomes powerless. Well, 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 first of all, he didn't rise. And that's what they say. He didn't rise physically. They'll say, oh, the spirit of Christ is among us. But Jesus said, give me food to eat. Give me something to drink. I have a real body. His intercession becomes meaningless. Listen, how can Jesus identify with all of our life if only for three, or let me put it this way. How can God sympathize and understand our humanity and our weakness if he only hung out as a human being for three years? Okay? You know, the beauty of the incarnation is that whatever stage you are in life, Jesus can relate to that. He was born, he, went, he, he, he developed as a human being. The second coming becomes hopeless. All of this is tied together, and it's all predicated upon this. This is what gives meaning. The who is what gives meaning to the what. Are you with me? So suddenly, Christmas is just not, you know, the incarnation is more than just Christmas. It's the gospel. So that's the lie. So here's what I want you to see. Let's go back and reverse, because when I've read this passage, so many times I've read this passage, and I'm like, okay, I believe the incarnation, but I see a lot of false teaching that seems to be unrelated to the incarnation, right? But you can work this same thing backwards. So, for instance, if you start messing with the resurrection from the dead, and you deny the resurrection, you've just denied something about who Jesus is. He's not God, if he didn't rise, okay? You start messing with the crucifixion and saying, oh, he didn't die as a substitute for our sin. He was just died as a good example of what sacrificial love looks like. You've done damage to who he is as fully God. So really what John's doing in this verse, when he hits on coming in the flesh, he's really giving us the linchpin to all these doctrines. All right? So when... when, When people mess with any of these, you are also messing with who Jesus is. So it can can work either way. And so really what we're looking at, it's a denial of the gospel in any aspect. And the key to it is the beautiful, miraculous miracle of the incarnation. Man, I'm telling you what, we ought to be excited to be here today. Because we aren't looking at man's religion. 
we're looking at a divine revelation, a divine invasion of the humanity by God himself. Emmanuel, God with us, isn't just a Christmas thing. It's a gospel thing for your whole life. Okay, what, are, what about the liars? Well, here's where he gets... What about, what about people that lie on this, that tell lies? Well, they're liars. And here's what false teachers... Here's what he says about false teachers. They share the characteristics of the devil himself. They share the characteristics of the devil himself. They're deceivers and antichrist. Here's what he's saying. In the last part of verse 7, he's saying, look, anybody that tells lies <coughs> or tries to deceive you on any of these areas is in a class of people that are deceivers and antichrists just like the ultimate deceiver and the ultimate antichrist. Look at uh, John, look, turn back to John 8:44. In the Gospel of John. Turn back to John 8, 44. Wow. I'm telling you what. Jesus, John, the apostles. These guys didn't mince words. And let me say this. They lived in an age of pluralism. And they lived in an age where literally the uniqueness of Christianity was outlawed and persecuted. They lived in an age really like what ours is becoming. And yet, here's how they still spoke of these things. Look at John 8, 44, what, he, what Jesus himself says about the devil. And to people that tell lies like the devil tells. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. In other words, you were born of him. You have his character. You have his nature. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let me tell you, no matter how nice, how good looking, how popular, how famous a man or woman is, how much you appreciate them and like them, if they deceive and tell lies about these aspects, they are showing the nature of and the inclination and the goal of the devil. And the goal is this. The devil is antichrist. Antichrist. Now, antichrist means this. Anti, it's actually a, a Greek prefix that goes before Christ. And it means two things. Against and instead of. Or you could say oppose and replace. That's what antichrist means. And when you look at this teaching, false teaching does two things. It opposes who Christ really is and what he really did, and it offers to replace that with a false substitute or a counterfeit. So when you ask someone, do you believe in Christ? And they say, yes, you haven't asked enough. You need to ask, what Christ do you believe in? What is he like? Don't give them the answers. Let them give you the answers. And if they give you the wrong answers, you have someone that either needs further teaching or severe correction because they're actually intent on being antichrist. Now, they would say, oh, I'm not against Christ. I love Christ. He's a good teacher. 
But listen, if you're not teaching who he is, you're telling lies, and you're against the real Christ, and you have some false Christ that you've put. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. He was what? Fully God, fully man. Okay? He wasn't just a good guy. He wasn't a, a Jewish Buddha. He wasn't a Jewish Muhammad. He wasn't just a prophet. He was actually the Christ, fully God, fully man. And so any substitute for that. Look at 1 John 2. Look, uh, go back to 1 John, not 2 John, but 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John has a lot to say. John has a, he, he, he uses Antichrist a lot. You say, I thought Antichrist, I thought Antichrist was someone that was coming at the end times. You know? And you're right, he is. He's coming. But John says the spirit of Antichrist is active today, and it's active in false teaching and false teachers. So let's look at 1 John. 1 John, look at verse chapter 2, verse 18. Now, look at what he says. Boom, right here. Children, you elect people of God, you who are truly born again. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, the future Antichrist, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it's the last hour. And I'm telling you, the closer we get to Jesus' second coming, the closer we get to the great tribulation, the closer we get to the rapture, the more and more false teaching that we're going to get. And the more deceptive it's going to get, and the more you have to be diligent to walk in truth and discerning of lies and liars. Notice he says, verse 19, here's one way you know a false teacher. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. See, False teachers profess to be Christians. They will even live like a Christian for a long amount of time. They may profess Christ at VBS. They may profess Christ as a child. They may profess Christ as an adult and live a Christian life for a while. But they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, remained with the truth, remained with true God's people who honor the truth. But they went out so that it would be shown that they, were, they all are not of us. But look at verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have written to you because you do, because you, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. They're not born again. The one who confesses the Son has the Father and is truly born again. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. From the beginning of the preaching of the gospel, from the beginning of when you were born again, abide in it. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. Whoa. 1 John 4. One more. Go to 1 John 4. 1 John 4. Look at verse 1. 
Beloved, again, you're loved of God. You're the elect of God. He has sovereignly given his love upon you through the gospel. You responded to that. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is still in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that that it is coming. And now it is already in the world. Wow. Little children, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They're from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. Listen, true believers don't listen to false teaching. Those who are swept away and listen to false teaching are not true believers. True believers, we have the Holy Spirit, as 2 John says, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit that brings the incarnate Son of God into our lives and alarm bells go out when we hear anyone twisting or denying the gospel. Our spirit is grieved, we are alarmed, we are concerned, and we seek in love to correct the error. And it ain't popular today. It is not popular. It is not popular among Christians to call out our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this isn't all we do, but it's one aspect of our life that we do need to do. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. But look at verse 6. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He's not talking about me. He's talking about the apostles. And the apostles still speak to us through this book. You listen only to men Anybody teach contrary to this book, you don't listen to it. You don't listen to it. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Wow. I end with one, uh, this point with one application. It's in your notes. Learn to discern false teaching for what it is. Deception that is antichrist. You mess with any of this, you are against Christ. You're replacing Christ. And you're, dece- you're, you're, you're deceived and you're seeking to deceive others. Now, here's the third way that we protect one another from false teaching. Be diligent. Be discerning. Number three, be determined to stay alert in light of what's at stake. Be determined to stay alert, alert in light of what's at stake. Look at what he says back Second John. Look at verse 8. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full award. He's saying, look, be alert, be determined to stay alert, because what's at stake is a loss of reward. And then he says in verses nine, in verse nine, anyone who goes too far and doesn't abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. What's also at stake is missing salvation. This is serious stuff. So let me, let's break that down. What's at stake when it comes to protecting one another from false teaching? Number one, rewards are lost. Rewards are lost when true believers fail to resist false teaching. Now, the command is watch yourselves. Start watching yourself. 
John's concerned. False teachers are already starting to come in. False teachers may already be in. And he's saying, look, you got to start, you got you to wake up. You got to wake up and stay alert. Get that alarm system on. Get that alarm going. Okay? But here's what's at stake. Number one, churches can lose the privilege of being light of the gospel. Think about Revelation 2 through 3. In these two chapters, Christ addresses seven churches right in the same area that John was writing. And he says to them, look, if you don't get your act together, if you don't get the false teachers, some of them were letting false teachers into their church, if you don't get them out, I'm going to take away your candlestick. I'm going to take away your position of being a gospel church, a light. Listen, churches, denominations, fellowships, organizations, ministries, schools, seminaries can quit being a light. Do you realize that Harvard, Yale, all these colleges started out as gospel training institutions for missionaries and, and, and ministers? Can you believe that? Hey, you want to go into ministry? Why don't you check out Harvard? Yeah, right. And you know what? The candlestick's removed. And they are so anti-Christ. They are so anti-Christ today that you can't even preach the gospel on these campuses. They, they deconstruct the Bible. You know, you know the story. The Southern Baptist Convention. Bible-believing Baptists. They nearly lost their conviction, their convention. Midwestern Seminary was the birthplace of this liberalism that took over the convention. And that school is responsible for major, there's large Southern Baptist churches in our community right now that are empty shells of their former selves, no longer light for the gospel because that convention and that seminary and all, all, nearly all their seminaries went liberal. Now, thank God you can recapture the light. Amen? You can recap. They've recaptured that seminary because they started calling error what it was and they called liars what they were. And they began to discipline and root that out. And now today, Midwestern is a lighthouse, and it's planting churches around the city and, and, and trying to revitalize some of these churches that were lost to the gospel. But it's very hard to regain a church once it's lost. It's very hard to do that. But by God's grace, they did it for their denomination. Churches become assemblies of Satan. I didn't say that. Jesus said that in Revelation 2 through 3. Churches become a shell of their former selves. Denominations begin ordaining women in contradiction to the clear teaching of God's word. They don't stop just with that. They go beyond and actually begin to ordaining lesbians and homosexuals as ministers of the gospel. This is what happens. This is what happens. Churches can lose their rewards. But it's not just churches. True believers can lose the rewards that they so diligently work for. The issue here is not a loss of salvation for true believers. The issue is a loss of rewards. It's like 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul says, Look, you will be saved as by fire, but your work will be burned out up, but you will be saved. So listen, if you fail, you fail to destroy false teaching, you have the danger of losing your full reward. But there's a greater danger in verse 9. Salvation is missed when anyone goes beyond the bounds of the gospel and fails to abide in the teachings of Christ. He shifts in this verse to say anyone. And here's what I want to end with. I want to end with this warning to you. He shifts from verse 8 
talking about true believers losing rewards because true believers can't lose their salvation. But he goes to verse 9, and he's talking about those who profess Christ for a while but then deny, and they miss salvation because they were never born again. And he uses that awful, horrible word, anyone. And you know what that means? That means maybe somebody you're related to. That means may mean your, fa your favorite Bible teacher. That may mean your favorite pastor. That may mean a long-term member of a church that you're convinced was truly saved. What he says is anyone that rejects the gospel has missed salvation. Man, these are serious words. Abide in the gospel. This isn't something you just do in the past and you have fire insurance and you can live in disobedience, you can reject the gospel, and everybody around you can say, but at least he or she made a decision in the past. No, true believers abide in the gospel. And we are giving false hope to people who have made a profession in the past who are living and, and, and teaching the doctrines of the devil today. We're giving them false assurance by saying, well, at least I know you're saved. No, you know what? I'm concerned for your salvation. I'm concerned for your salvation. And so I preach the gospel to you again. This is, what, this, is the, this is the essence. And it's hard. It's hard. I've had Bible professors from Bible college that reject the gospel. I've had ministers. of. I've had friends. I mean, this is a sad thing that ministers do. They get a list of all their friends and they mark off how many fall away. Because it happens. It happens. So, resist the temptation to go beyond the teaching. And number two, remain within the bounds. Resist the temptation to go beyond, remain in the bounds. So I end with this. Watch yourself and resist false teaching. Be determined to stay alert in light of what's at stake by being diligent to live in the truth on a daily basis and you're going to grow in your discernment. Man, I, I challenge you today. And if you know someone that is, is, has, is drifting, if you know someone that's not abiding, then let's get on our knees and let's pray, let's love, and let's share the gospel. Let's keep sharing the truth in love. Amen? Because you know what? As long as we're alive and breathing, there's hope of repentance. Amen? There's hope of repentance. Let's pray. Father, we come. Heavy stuff today. Real stuff. Very practical stuff. I pray that you would help us to be diligent, to just live in truth. Let us be discerning. But, Father, let us be determined today. We are not going to be one who falls away. We know we're eternally secure in you, and so we have the power, the grace, the ability to remain and abide even in the toughest of times, even in the greatest of persecution, we can abide and we can have a full reward and we can lead others to Christ. Lord, I pray that we will remain true to the gospel and not lose any of what God has for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Be discerning today.